So what is the setting of this passage? We're going to jump right in this morning and probably be a little shorter than we normally are just because of the nature of the service. But where are we here in Joshua chapter 23 and 24? Um, I want us to just think sort of a review in our minds of Old Testament history. If you were to open the Bible and read it from cover to cover, where would we be by the time we get to Joshua? All right. Obviously, we've been through the creation account in Genesis. And you continue on, obviously, we've been through the garden and the fall. If we continue on in Genesis, we've been even through Noah and the flood in our minds. If you continue on, we've been through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob through Genesis. We've even gone, by the time we get to Joshua, we've already gone through this crazy time where Joseph entered into Egypt. You remember that story? And then it kind of quickly went bad for God's people there. 400 plus years of bondage in Egypt. However... We need to remind ourselves, as, especially as we talk of today, a lot of it's in how we define the word bad. Was this bondage really bad in Egypt? Yes, it was tough, but was it bad? Well, no, because what God was doing in it is he was using the bondage as essentially a greenhouse to grow his people. From 70 people to 600,000 people in Egypt. God grew his nation. Now, by the time we get to Joshua, we've actually been through the ministry of Moses. What did Moses do? And we're not going to go reteach the life of Moses, but if you remember, Moses growing up in Egypt, then spent 40 years as a shepherd out with the sheep, which, by the way, thinking through the Christmas story, I love now the story of shepherds. This Moses spent time getting to know his God as a shepherd The burning bush, remember that scenario? Moses came back to Egypt, obeying God, and then we see God do amazing things through the life and ministry of Moses. Taking these half million people on this mass exodus. And do you remember what happened on this exodus? Blows my mind what God Almighty did. Crossing the Red Sea, do you remember this? As it, as it opened up so they could walk through and then closing on top of the Egyptian army of Pharaoh. This is only something that the almighty creator and sustainer of all life could do. And we, in our Old Testament history, we've already gone beyond that now. Now we think about Moses and what he does with these people and God clearly led him to this place called Mount Sinai. Kids, you probably remember what happened at Mount Sinai. God gave his people the law. Guidelines to live by and guidelines for which they were to use to worship God. How do we worship God? These people coming out of Egypt, how do we clearly worship God? Clearly designated in the Old Testament Torah. Here's my expectations for you. Very quickly, we realize that God's people weren't as faithful as they thought they could be. Even to the point where they now step up to the, to the doorstep of the land of promise. God had promised land to Abraham. They can see it. They now send spies to check out the land, to see how they can strategically overcome the land. Ten of the spies come back and remember their story. There's no way we can do that. 
Two of the spies come back and say, there's no way we can do it, but God can do it. We've got a big God. Those two fellows, Joshua and Caleb. But then what happened because of the doubt of those and the disobedience of those 10 spies? The doubt and disobedience of God's people. Now for 40 years, God's chosen people are wandering in the wilderness. Figuring out how to do life and worship in the wilderness. What is God doing in God's master plan? He's basically taking, if you think of it this way, he's taking an entire generation of doubters of God and eliminating them from the scene. People that disobeyed God and would not enter into the promised land. Those who had stepped out of Egypt and seen all the amazing things that God had done. And now they doubt God and he's taking them and wiping the slate clean with a new a new group of people, another generation of people to enter into the land. By the time we get to Joshua 23 and 24 that we're going to look at this next two weeks, we see a group of people who've already come into the land through Joshua's leadership. We've seen them work through what's known as the conquest. Remember some of those massive conquest battles? We're talking about the battle of Jericho. The God that opened up the Red Sea is the God that collapsed the city of Jericho. Do you remember that story? Remember the accountability structure in Ai as one Achan disobeyed God and hid things from God? The deaths that came from that? The reality that if you're going to enter into the land, you better do it God's way, not your way. As we walk through this Old Testament history in Joshua now, 15 years prior, Joshua had entered into the land. Joshua, this older man now, looking at this group of people that had entered the land, watching them as they've been organized in the land. Joshua, this man of God, has some words for them. And Joshua, this man of God, as we're going to see, I'm just going to read a couple verses here. Joshua 23, 1 and 2. You can look at them if you like. Otherwise, just, I'll just go ahead and read them. Sets up what's happening in chapter 23 and 24. Here's what it says. A long, term, a long time afterward, that's the conquest of the land of promise. So 15 years. When the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years. All right, He was well advanced in years because as you, as you walk through the timeline of Joshua's life, he's nigh 110 years old. This guy's had a fruitful life for God. I mean, I, I put a picture up here, especially for the kiddos. But I want to tell you, I don't, I don't know that Joshua was necessarily able to even stand on his own. <laughs> After all the battles he'd gone through, all the, all the discussion, all the, out of all of the, the hikes and the, the trips he's been on, this is a man who's seen God do great things. And now in Joshua 23 and 24, Joshua is gathering the people. Joshua 23 verse 2 says, Joshua summoned all Israel. And in chapter 23, it's all of the, the, the leaders of Israel. Joshua 24 is all of Israel. Joshua 23 is like a big powwow. This is like a big board meeting. Verse 2 of Joshua 23 says, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and its heads, its judges and its officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. Like, no kidding, man. You've seen some really neat things. So picture with me this scene, if we can. Let's just kind of place ourselves here. 
Let's place ourselves in the scene with Joshua talking to these people. What is happening here? Joshua, the great man of God, warrior for God, leader of God's people, is nearly 110 years. He's coming to the end. Very clearly, he's coming to the end of his life. He has led God's chosen people to conquer the land. And I want to add something to that. To conquer the land mostly. The job now needs to be carried on by the people occupying the land. And now passing from the scene, just like his mentor Moses had done before he passed, he gathers the children of Israel together to talk to them. He's exhorting the leaders of Israel in a place called Shiloh in chapter 23. And then very close to that, within 10, 15 miles, is another place called Shechem. And in Shechem, he gathers all of the children of Israel together to challenge them, to exhort them. The large meeting of elders in chapter 23 is very, I can picture it in my mind as being a very solemn meeting. People know what's happening. Joshua is passing off the scene. Maybe you would see Eleazar, the high priest, sitting there. And he knows what he had gone through with Joshua, organizing all the people in the new land, the land of promise. Eleazar, the high priest, driving people to Yahweh, God. I think for sure you would see in this meeting dozens of faithful soldiers These guys who had laid their life on the line for Yahweh and laid their life on the line especially for Joshua. Joshua, lead us into battle. You would see dozens of these soldiers. You would see military leaders who by now, 15 years after the conquest, had sort of hung up their swords on the wall and picked up the plowshares because it's time to develop the land further. These past soldiers were now leaders of families, tribes. They were rulers. Some of them would become judges, elders of the tribes of Israel. No doubt, no doubt here at this meeting, in Shiloh and then in Shechem, you would see Joshua's right-hand man, now 95, standing next to Joshua, looking at him and saying, yes, Joshua, yes, who's this guy? It's his buddy, Caleb. Caleb, who had been through the battles with Joshua. Caleb experiencing the mighty hand of Almighty God working for decades in the children of Israel. Think about this with me. Of all of these people here, who were the only two that were born in Egypt? Joshua and Caleb. Remember how in those 40 years, God had basically wiped out a generation of disbelievers and they had left two of these individuals. Who were they? Joshua and Caleb, who'd made a choice to trust God. Caleb and Joshua, I bet in their reminiscing times, would talk of old times. They'd talk of people they knew, people who loved God, people who turned from God. They both experienced birth and childhood in Egyptian bondage. They both experienced the miraculous exodus, crossing the Red Sea as little boys, very possibly. I think uh, very possibly Joshua was in his late teens. Very possibly Caleb was just a, a little guy walking through the Red Sea, Joshua and Caleb, nudging each other and saying, remember that? Crossing the Jordan. I mean, think about them. They... They spent nights 
watching the pillar of fire. Can you imagine being a little dude watching that? The pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day, and mom and dad saying, yep, that's our God leading us. Trust him. Joshua and Caleb working through this together. Joshua and Caleb seeing the manna from heaven fall. Can you imagine the first day that manna fell? And Joshua says, what is that? Maybe Joshua's parents saying, it's God providing. God's doing his work of provision in our lives. Caleb, even as a little toddler, running around picking up some of this stuff, enjoying this manna. Mount Sinai. Can you imagine being Joshua and Caleb and seeing the leaders of Israel compromise as Moses is up there receiving the law of God? I mean, we see this all around us. In this valley, we're surrounded by mountains, and we definitely know when storms blow in. You can look over any of these mountains, you can see, even at times, you see the lightning strike. I mean, when we lived in Colorado, it was noticeable, like within five, ten minutes, all of a sudden, a storm would come over the peaks and be right into town. You knew something was going up on that mountain peak. And I'm going to tell you, at Mount Sinai, the people knew something was happening when God was giving his law to Moses. These young men looking up at Mount Sinai thinking, whoa, did you see that? That's God. God, the God of Israel's given us something. Moses and Joshua being men chosen because they knew God and trusted God to go spy out that land. Coming back, I can imagine Joshua and Caleb nudging each other, wanting to wring the necks of these ten dudes that said we can't do it. Wanting to come unleash at them and say, yes, we can! Through God, that God that crossed the red, helped us cross the Red Sea, the God that gave us that law, the God that did all of those miracles in Egypt, He's the God that will help us conquer the land. I think of Joshua and Caleb even looking at each other and just smirking because they remember these events. Both of these men sat under the ministry of God's man, Moses. Undoubtedly, with Joshua and Caleb at this meeting, you're going to have those who had laid their lives down, as we've already mentioned. Leaders of this gathering. Those who not had not experienced Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea, but those who had experienced the crossing of the Jordan River. Do you remember this? They had experienced Jericho. There's ones in this meeting that watched the walls fall down. There's ones here who very possibly were friends with Achan, who stole there's ones here who knew very well the accountability structure placed into God's people through Moses. There's ones here at this meeting who, who possibly lost some of their family members due to the disobedience of, of Achan. There's ones here who knew very well of the joy and struggles of being in the land. That's what's happening here in Joshua 23 and 24. There's a group of people who had seen Joshua lead because he knew God. He was not perfect, as we find very clearly in the book of Joshua. He made mistakes. But this is a God, this is a man who loved his God dearly. And I love this because the exhortation of Joshua 23 and 24 can basically be summarized with this. Because God 
has been so faithful to you, Joshua says, you should be faithful to him. In two chapters, over and over and over and over again, in Shiloh and in Shechem, here's what Joshua is saying to these people. God's been faithful to you, so please be faithful to him. God's been faithful to you, so please be faithful to him. I'm going to read these verses, Joshua 24, 14, and 15, because for me, this is so appropriate in application to you and to me. I put it up on the screen. I'm going to read all of the verses. I, I took some portions out on this, but I'll go ahead and read all of the verses. You can follow along if you'd like. Verses 14 and 15, Joshua says this, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Verse 15, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, here it is. Choose this day who you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers, the ones they served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell now, And here's Joshua. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So so basically now this. uh, As a very pastoral type challenge today. Cross Point Community Church. God's done some amazing things in our lives. Individually and corporately through this last year. God has some special things for us this next year. But I love to embrace different verses in my life. In fact, I shared this with some of the college students at the commencement, the Shasta Bible College students in May, because this has gripped my heart. Here's what's gripping my heart. Yes, by God's grace, I live day by day. But at some point in my life, over and over again, I should say often in my life, over and over again, it is a choice to be made by God's grace to be faithful to the one who's always been faithful to me. This year, it's undeniable that we're going to struggle with trials. There's going to be hurdles in our lives. Undeniable that very likely several in this congregation will pass into the next life. Very possible there'll be several in this congregation that will go through financial difficulties, relational difficulties, psychological, social difficulties. In all of this, what will we do as a congregation to remember the challenge of Joshua? Choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So what I want to do is the next two weeks look at this passage. We're not going to dig in terribly deep into these two passages, but I want us to to basically answer two questions. First question is, is why? Why should I choose faithfulness? Why should I choose this year to to follow God with my family? Why should I choose to say no to some things in my life and yes to some things in my life? Why? That's what we're going to try to answer today briefly. Next week, we're going to look in chapter 23 and see exactly exactly how Joshua says this should happen. Some very good principles of how this should happen. So basically today, I want us to look at this. Why should we choose faithfulness? And here's why we must choose faithfulness. 
We choose faithfulness to God because God has been faithful to us. Can we just take a couple minutes to remind ourselves of this? God has been faithful to you and God has been faithful to me. We're looking back at our past just as Joshua had done and he does over and over again through chapters 23 and 24. He looks back and says, God has been faithful to you. How has God been faithful to us? How had God been faithful to Joshua and his people? And I'm gonna go a little quicker through this. Here's how he had been faithful to them and how he's faithful to us. God is faithful to be the Lord our God. Sometimes we breeze past that in these texts. But this is full of meaning and significance to these people. I mean, even I I put down there Joshua 24, 17 and 18. Here's the passage. It is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did these great signs in our sights and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we were passed. And verse 18, and the Lord drove out before us all the prophets, the Amorites who lived in this land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord who is our God. What's significant about that? I love this because the names of God, the designations of God are incredibly intentional in the scriptures. Joshua uses a couple terms for God, a couple names for God that we have to hold on to. When we think about the faithfulness of God, we must remind ourselves that he's faithful in his very name. What do I mean? Up there are two words, Lord and God, two designations for our God, our deity, the God of all creation, the sustainer, creator of all life. The first one we put up there is Lord. I think as we look at Exodus chapter 3 and Moses is wrestling with God about why he shouldn't go back to to Egypt and pull out the people of Israel. I think very clearly God aligns himself here and designates this as the primary name of the covenant-keeping, all-sufficient God that he is. This word Lord, uh, we have it in our Bibles a lot of times, as all capitals. Why? Because this is a sacred name to the Jews. And when I was taking Hebrew class and we would listen through sections of, of Hebrew, when they came to this designation of God, they would not even say the word Yahweh or what we would say Jehovah. They would not even say that because it was so sacred to them. They would say Adonai. This is a sacred name to the Jewish people. This is a sacred name to you and to me. What is this sacred name? Lord. Lord is the self-sufficient, covenant-keeping, promise-protecting creator and sustainer of all life. I mean, some of us are visual learners. I happen to be one of those. I like to, to visualize what this means. So if you like to visualize what this means in terms of arms, just think of me as arms. We've talked about this before. When you think of Yahweh, I want you to think about the fact that God is wrapping his arms around you. That is what Yahweh is. He is the covenant-keeping, gracious God of Israel. Either that or he's lifting you off the ground and carrying you. That is Yahweh. There's another name for God. It is God. This is the word Elohim. He is the Lord our God. We've talked of this before. When we talk about God, Elohim, this is the all-powerful one who does not know an impossible task. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No. No. He is Elohim. He is God. 
So if Yahweh is the one where he's wrapping his arms around you and giving you comfort that you so desperately need, he's the covenant-keeping God of Israel, Elohim is the one where he's standing there ready to fight. Those enemies come and he's actually doing a bit of this. It's the flexing God. It is the God who is willing to do all things for his people, to to bring them into the covenant, to guide them through the covenant. This is the covenant-keeping God of Israel who's now flexing his arms. And what is Joshua saying? Even in these terms he uses for God, the Lord, your God, is with you. You know what my challenge is for us as we enter into 2020 after being in 2019? Brothers and sisters of Christ at Cross Point Community Church, The Lord, our God, is with us. The covenant-keeping God of Israel, the one now who has established a covenant through Jesus Christ, his shed blood on the cross, and his victorious resurrection, who now has indwelt us as new covenant believers with the Holy Spirit that will never let us go. He is the God that is driving us into this next year. We can be faithful to God. We should be faithful to God because brothers and sisters in Christ He is faithful to us in his very name. Here's another reason why we should choose to be faithful. God is faithful to be the Lord our God. And here's another reason found in this passage. He's faithful to preserve his people. Verse 17 clearly states it. Uh, for it is the Lord, back to verse 17. For it is the Lord our God who brought us out of our, uh, and our fathers up from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery and who did those great things, those signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way we, that we went. He did what for us? He preserved us in all the way we went. He kept us. Here's another way of saying preserve. It's to protect us, to keep us, to watch out for us. I'm thinking in my life about illustrations for that. I know there's some dads of little toddlers here. You're not going to just let your toddler go run around the mall and say, hey, see you in a couple hours. Now watch this toddler like a hawk. I mean, we we went to the water park, and I had responsibility for a while with my daughter, Emma. I'm not going to be like, hey, have fun. Just watch out for that one. It's got big waves. I'm going to watch out for this girl like a hawk. I've got her. I'm preserving her life. And I'm going to tell you, the God of Israel is doing that for you and for me. God is faithful to do that. He's watching over our lives. God will not take a break on his shift. This God is the one who's watching every step we make in this life. This is the God, the covenant-keeping God of Israel that's preserving us. He's protecting us. He's keeping us. Just like Jesus Christ himself says in John chapter 10, if you're in the Father's hands, no one is going to take you out of the Father's hands. He's got you. So why should we be faithful to our God in 2020? Because he's been so faithful to us all of our lives. He's faithful to preserve us. There's another reason I believe in this passage. He's faithful to keep his word. I cannot cannot get get this off of my mind, this verse. Verse 14 of chapter 23. So now we're back to the leaders, and here's what he reminds the leaders. And now I am about to go the way of the earth, and you know in your heart and souls, in other words, you really know. It's not just up here. You know. You've experienced it. All of you. That not one word has failed. Of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you, all have come to pass. Not one of them has failed. 
What's the simple point? Not one promise of God will go unfulfilled because God is a God who cannot fail. And this is clearly seen in how he handles his promises to you and to me. God will not fail. Not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Honestly, when I, when I read this, I'm just overwhelmed. Not one single promise of God will ever go unfulfilled. Now where we get the rub is where we think God's timing should happen now to fulfill the promise. God, you need to do it now. And we don't realize, as we reference often, that God's painting on a canvas is so much bigger than we can even imagine. God knows the exact timing of the things in our lives. God has ordained these things in our life to grow us in him. God will keep his promises. When we get to the end of our lives and we look back, just like Joshua, we can emphatically say that God has kept every promise. And even if there are things in our lives that we have doubts for, like in Hebrews chapter 11, there's some who went into the next life knowing that this God is the God that will keep them there. He's got them. I think about how awful of a dad I am. I was fully anticipating a big amen from this group over here. <laughs> uh, I often think, you know, I, I try to share promises with my kids. Okay, here's an example. The other day, I was running off to the store to get something to help set up the Christmas presents we had, some swings out in the back property. I needed to run over to this uh, store to get some more materials. And um, I'm like, Eva, go with me. Oh, Dad, I want to play and do this stuff. I said, Eva, when we get there, I'll get you something special. Huge manipulation device right there, right? <laughs> go there and dad will get you something. Well, we go to this tool store. It happens to be Harbor Freight Tools. Not a whole lot special for little kids at Harbor Freight Tools. Hey, you want these magnets? All about this wood chopper, you know? <laughs> it's a wood splitter. So we get to the store and I'm searching through the store. What can I get this girl? And finally, it's like, you know what, sorry, sweetie, we're just going to have to do this another time. And we get in the car, and I look back, and she's kind of tearing up a little bit. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to find something to do special to you, for you. And I'm working on it. But as hard as I try, I'm telling you, there's so many of these promises just like that one that slip through the cracks. Maybe because I don't have the ability, or maybe because I absolutely, completely forget about my promise. So I'm going through this this week and I'm thinking, wow, not one promise that God's made to me will ever slip through the cracks because he forgot. Not one promise that he's ever made to me will ever slip through the cracks because he can't do it. Every promise he's made to us will happen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a great God who will keep his promises. Young ones in this room, bank on it. Count your whole lives on it. Teens in this room. Little ones in elementary school. Bank on the fact that God will keep his promises. Even though it may not seem like that right now. God will keep his promises. What does this mean for you and for me? Whether we acknowledge it or not, God has been faithful to us. Faithful to be the Lord our God. Faithful to preserve us. Faithful to keep his word. I also, though, want to take a minute right now with a bit of a reality check. Maybe there are some that are listening who are saying, really? 
Pastor Andrew, you don't know my life. I just want to be very real here. Pastor Andrew, you're seeing pie in the sky right now. You don't know what I've gone through. God has not been faithful to me. I want to say two things to that. One is this. That is the same doubt that Satan has been planting in people's minds from the first human beings. So take comfort that you're not the only ones who are working through that question. That is a question that Satan constantly wants to bring up to us all the time. God's not faithful. God's not good. The second thing I would like to say is this is something that I work through in my mind often. God, if you're faithful, you'll do this. You know what? (laughs) What God's led me to in my life when I think those thoughts that God's not faithful, there's three things. I try to do three things. One is this. First of all, re-examine my data. (laughs) Okay. Is my life really that bad? (laughs) What about the good things that are happening in my life? Am I not breathing today? What did I do to cause that breath to happen? Do I not see today? Can I not hear today? Is my heart not beating today? And in all of those, what did I do to make any of that happen? So when I doubt these things, sometimes I need to re-examine my data. Not only do I re-examine my data, I need to redefine my terms. One of those terms I've got to constantly redefine is the term blessing. Is blessing simply an absence of trial? I love a song several years ago. We sang it over and over and over and over again as a family. One Laura story wrote out was blessings in disguise. Is blessing simply an absence of trial? Or is it possible that a trial of suffering that seems really bad is something that God is using to substantially grow my trust? So is that truly bad? A a question we, we are constantly confronted with in apologetics is this. How could a good person go through bad things from God? Why does a good person struggle with bad things? Why do bad things happen to good people? You've heard that, I'm sure. This is a classic case of now going back and redefining the terms according to the scriptures. Two, primarily, we need to redefine what truly is bad, bad things. Another one, good people. We need to define the word good and the people from the scriptures, realizing that bad things only happen to one good person in the whole history of life, and that is Jesus Christ. We need to realize that we have to redefine the terms sometimes according to the scriptures. What truly is bad and what truly is good, what truly is blessing. And we come to the realization of Lamentations chapter 3 that through the Lord's mercies we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So not only my life when I'm tempted to think I don't have a faithful God, I'm, I need to re-examine my data, redefine my terms. Sometimes I need to reorient my perspective take my compass out and figure out where I'm going again according to what the scripture says? What do I mean? Here's a good question that I have to ask myself often. What if I truly got what I deserved from a holy God? 
(laughs) It would be bad news. There's much more we could say about that, but I want to say if you're working through that in your mind right now and you're saying, Pastor Andrew, I can't just assume and I can't just throw, I can't just throw my hands up and say, God, you are faithful because I know what I've gone through. And I would encourage you, please realize you're not the only one going through that. And number two, please realize that you can, according to the scriptures, re-examine the data, redefine your terms according to the scriptures and reorient your perspective. And that's my prayer is that we constantly can reorient our spirit perspective from the scriptures okay we need to move on choose faithfulness to God why should we choose faithfulness chapter 23 24 and a very pastoral type encouragement today why should we choose faithfulness to God it's because he's been faithful to us in the past and very clearly in this text it's because he will be faithful to us in the future he will not let us down We see several evidences of this in the New Testament, but I want to stay in this passage, Joshua 23, 24. I want to say that God will be faithful. He will be in the future faithful to provide the necessary support that you need. I think you find this very clearly in verse 5. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. Remember how I said when they conquered the land, they conquered it mostly There was still work to be done. And what's Joshua saying? Work's not done. And this God, if you trust in him, he will continue to drive them out. The sad fact is that the people of God did not trust God to do this. We see this in the residual of what happens in the rest of the story, especially in the book of Judges. I think the clear point in this passage is that this, God has not left us powerless. God will be faithful. Okay, as new covenant believers, all right, we're ones in our redemptive story that have been through the cross of Christ and the resurrection and the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. As new covenant believers, we have been indwelt permanently by the Holy Spirit. The fact is this, we cannot, and I want to reiterate this, as much as we want to try to be faithful to God on our own strength, we cannot be faithful to God. Please understand that. It is only of his grace and mercy and the Holy Spirit of God that is drawing us to faithfulness every walk, every step we take during the day. But here's the assurance of this passage. Be faithful to God. Why? Because he's been faithful to you in the past and he will be faithful to you in the future. He will empower you. That struggle that you know is coming, maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe six months from you, you, now you know you're going to hit that struggle. Guess what, brothers and sisters in Christ? He's faithful. He'll walk through that with you. I want to point out one other aspect of this passage because a lot of times we want to navigate around this part of the passage. (laughs) We want to kind of tippy-toe around it. But God is faithful to support us when we need the support, to empower us for that task at hand, but God is also faithful to discipline us when we need it. We understand very clearly as we read these passages that we are in a different time period in redemptive history. But I still want to read the general principle here. Joshua 23 verse 12 says this. If you turn back and cling to the remnant of those nations remaining among you. Verse 13. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Wow. What is he saying? God is faithful to be who he said he would be and to do what he said he would do. 
God is faithful to his own character. God cannot ignore his own holiness. God must deal with these things. And God promises to them that if you turn back to these other gods, I'm going to show my faithfulness to you, but it's going to be seen in the form of discipline. There's more that's said about that, especially in verses 16 and verse 16. But here's the clear point. God will be faithful to bring discipline into the life of his children. One of the most gracious things God can ever do, as we find in Hebrews chapter 12, you can write that down. Hebrews 12, that God as a loving father disciplines his children to bring them along. That's one of the most merciful, gracious things God can ever do, is discipline us when we're in disobeying to bring us into the point where we're now obeying. We must run all of Joshua through the grid of the new covenant so we realize that we have been promised security in Christ, but the principle remains, disobedience to God will lead to a sobering conflict. It will. He has us. He will never let us go, but there will be conflict as we disobey God. I want us to summarize this. We need to close out the service today with this key idea. If we could summarize all of what we talked about today, here's what it would be, something like this. Because God has been so faithful to us, we should choose to be faithful to him. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why? Not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. Because God has been so faithful to us, we should choose this year, 2020, with every single little choice that we have to serve God faithfully. There's a there's a statement I try to share with my daughters every time we drop them off, and actually with David and Eva, uh, with my older daughters. When we drop them off to school almost every day, Carrie can quote it right now, but she won't. I say this, and I picked this up from actually Hannah's pastor, a godly man in Pennsylvania, and just advanced it a little bit, but here it is. Life is full of choices. Choices are full of consequences. Make the godly choice. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this year, 2020, life is full of choices. Choices are full of consequences. Make the godly choice. So what? This year, will you make the godly choice? And here's where it starts. Do I regularly consider the faithfulness of God? Have you ever stopped really really stop to think about the many ways that God has been faithful to you. Does God's faithfulness bring you to tears sometimes? All of the things that he's done for us. All of the things that we don't deserve. Do you rejoice that God is not finished with us yet? God's not done. I love that statement. Please be patient with me. God's not done with me yet. God's doing an amazing work in us. And as we've seen in Philippians chapter 1, we can be confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in us, he will fulfill it. He will complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. Here's another question. By grace now, have I chosen to faithfully serve God? It's a choice that we make every day, multiple times a day. 
young people in this room or interact with choices every day of who you're going to serve, here's the question. Will you choose this day to serve God with sincerity and faithfulness every day, all day long? Can we truly proclaim this, dads in this room, as for me and my house this year, we will serve the Lord. Please don't miss next week. Next week, we're going to carry on this discussion. This week, why should we be faithful to God? Because he's been so faithful to us. Next week, okay, now how? How should I be faithful to God? How in 2020 can I express my faithfulness to God? So please don't miss next week as we continue this discussion.